and welcome to Hello Human, a podcast to explore ideas and feature humans working in AI and technology. Preeti Adhikari from Yale University, who serves as the Sci City External Partnership Associate and an advisor to the Women in AI Think Tank here in the United States, joins us today on the Hello Human podcast, where we discuss the latest topics in artificial intelligence and how it's being applied in the real world. I'm John Nisley, the host of Hello Human and a longtime consultant focused on helping companies adopt and prosper with emerging technologies. A big thanks to Fortress IQ for sponsoring the program, and be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is part of a series on women in AI that we are very excited about here at Fortress IQ, and Elizabeth Middleman from our marketing team, who's been driving the program, is participating in this session as well. On this episode, we're going to explore leveraging technology for social impact. When you talk with people about the role of AI on humanity and society, people tend to fall into two camps. You either have this Hollywood dystopian view that the robots are going to destroy the universe and take everyone's job, or a more utopian view that the technology will make life better and lead to a more prosperous future and let people do more meaningful work. And that's the angle that we are going to explore today. So welcome to the program, Preeti. Thanks for joining us on Hello Human and participating in our Women in AI series. I mentioned your association with Yale Sci City. The city there stands for Center for Innovative Technology and is supported by Joe Sai of Alibaba fame and owner of the Brooklyn Nets as well, and a major supporter of the Yale Lacrosse program that I know he's very proud of. And you're also a advisor to the Women in AI group as well. You know, both those organizations run some very unique programs. Uh, maybe to start, you could give our listeners some background on them and, you know, how they're working to leverage technology for the greater social good. Sure. Um, thanks, John. Great to be here. In terms of SciCity, it's the Sci Center for Innovative Thinking at Yale, and it has this big audacious mission, right? It's to inspire Yale students to use innovative ways to solve real-world problems. And they run a long list of programs anywhere from, you know, incubations, accelerators. They provide mentorship funding. They provide a lot of workshops, amazing, amazing things. For me, one of the reasons I actually enrolled in Yale for my Master of Advanced Management degree was because of its strong focus on business leader, like they create business uh, leaders for business and society. So that's something I, you know, really uh, relate to. For Size City, a program I help run, it's called Innovation from the Inside. And what it is, it's like a five to six week program where we bring a cohort of students of about 75, not just from Yale, but uh, all over the world. So 30 different global schools. And we bring them together to have this discussion around innovation and what that means, right? And when we typically think about innovation, we always think of startups and how disruptive they are, how agile they are, and so on. We don't really think about bigger companies, corporations as innovative, right? And we're trying to change all of that mindset. So just to give you an example, the one we ran in the fall, it was about corporate innovation. So, you know, talking about how you can change your mindset, how you can create that support system and bring your, uh, you know, vision to life. So we had uh, amazing leaders from around the world. Some examples are Jim Snabe from Siemens. We had Bharat Krish from Time Magazine. They joined to really 
bring our sort of the, bring these ideas to life, really add value to students from their life experiences. What we're hoping is we can change people's perspectives, change perspective of these students, right? When they're thinking of they're choosing their career path, if they're not really thinking about starting, like being an entrepreneur or joining a startup, we still want them to know that there's innovation everywhere in the world. So this one, this term, we're starting one, which is called public-private partnerships. And again, it focuses on, you know, that innovation that we can really infuse in um, government entities, nonprofits and whatnot. So that's really, really exciting in terms of, you know, having those discussions and having a lot of ideas spin off as, as a result of that. In terms of women in AI, one of the reasons I uh, got involved was because I'm super, super passionate about two things, AI, um, and that's one of the reasons I'm here, and two is women empowerment. And that nonprofit actually fuses it together, right, where we believe that women are not represented or do not participate in the AI sector overall, and we're trying to change that. Um, so it's a volunteer-run organization. One of the things we're doing is this March, actually, we're launching this almost like an incubation program, which is called Why Accelerate, which brings a cohort about, of about 40 startups led by women or started by, you know, founded by women. And we're trying to help them from idea generation all the way to investment. And for me, the, the ways I'm involved in that particular nonprofit is as the lead for speaker outreach and investor relations. You know, I personally think they're one of the most important aspects because, you know, there are so many, and you guys know this, right? Uh, there are so many amazing women leaders in AI. But it's like, you know, when we see these panels for uh, events, so many times they're just, you know, full of, they're just manos, right? They're just, you know, there's only one woman uh, there or there's just the woman is just the moderator or something like that. And that needs to change, right? So we're trying to be really intentional. Um, and for me, that's, that's an amazing way to bring these inspiring leaders and, you know, and motivate our cohort by having these inspiring women there. And again, in terms of investors as well, right? Um, if money flows into startups that are started by, you know, that are run by women, then that ecosystem is going to change. And there is going to be, hopefully, more women uh, being a part of this. So, so that's my hope. That's great, Preeti. Thanks for that introduction. And we'll be sure to put the links to SciCity and Women in AI in the show notes for this episode so people can get easy access to them. You know, going back to that idea of that there are different ways to, you know, get involved and, and contribute to this idea of, of using technology to build a better tomorrow. You know, like myself, you've had a bit of a nonlinear career path that ultimately led you into AI. I think you started in some operational roles and things like that. You know, how did you find your way into AI? You know, what lessons can you share from that journey for other, you know, young professionals that are, that are earlier in their career? Sure. I feel like, you know, we probably need an entire day to go through my non super nonlinear path, but I'll just give a gist. My undergrad was in economics. My MBA was in finance and strategy. In terms of the roles, I've worked in banking and nonprofits and energy and whatnot. Um, I've worked in Singapore, Canada, Nepal, and the US. So it's been, you know, a lot of different things that I've explored. 
In terms of fuse machines, I joined them in 2016 because they needed somebody to run their operations to help them expand to different uh, locations. And that's where my global outlook more than anything else uh, came into play. I did that for a bit. And then it, you know, in a way, in any company, we're all trying to sell something, market something and so on, right? So marketing almost seemed like a natural progression just because I was also leading the social mission of the company. So that's how I migrated into it. I completely loved it. In terms of my advice, you know, one is not to look at things as silos, right? You know, think of your career as a set of almost interdependent skills. It's about, you know, transferable skills that you can bring to the table, right? I mean, there is obviously a lot of value in having domain expertise and, you know, spending a lot of years on that. But there's a lot of value you can bring, you know, by your creativity, by thinking outside the box and so on. Like, you know, just to give an example, right? From my background, you know, I, I also understand the challenges uh, that that are uh, that different industries face. For example, in banking, uh, I do understand how you know maybe chatbots or OCRs might uh, might be able to expedite a lot of progress and uh, and benefit the people. All right, pretty. That's great. Thank you so much. And obviously, you've had the nonlinear career path and also a very uh, international, global one as well, which is always interesting and I think helpful and will become more and more the norm for everybody. I think you sort of illustrated another piece that's interesting in that background as well. You know, there's this large misconception about the need to be technical in AI. And obviously, you know, yourself like me, you know, don't come from that sort of hardcore programming coding background. Can you share with how your career path has been able to sort of break that misconception? You know, would you be able to share any benefits as well as the challenges on being less technical in the industry? Sure. So, you know, when people think of AI, they think of, you know, people that have studied a lot of years, you know, computer science or math and, you know, that they all have PhDs, right? I mean, those are integral things and a lot of people you meet in the AI space have those backgrounds, right? But I feel like there are tons of roles for intermediaries like you and me, right, where we sit between these technical people and the users, the consumers, right? There's always, uh, you know, there's so much value this that, you know, non-technical people bring, right? And not just in terms of translation of the jargon, so to speak, but in terms of the creativity, the connections, right? Because at the end of it, the people that buy your product or your service, they're humans, Right. And they're not just buying that feature. They're buying a solution for a problem they're, you know, they're facing, right? They're not just investing in a company based on the data, right? They're based, uh, they love this. They love the story of the company. And, you know, people like us, we're the storytellers in a way. We're the people that are showcasing that human side of, you know, even a product or a service or anything like that, right? Even when we talk about publications or, you know, PR in, in general, they're not just trying to feature another AI company, right? They're trying to feature one that's disrupting the company, that's impacting, you know, business or society and so on. I feel like that's where our place is, right? In terms of storytellers, in terms of connectors, in terms of these community builders, and because AI has this impact to impact on such a big level, I feel like there's a place for all kinds of degrees and educational experience and general backgrounds. Like, right? for example, 
uh, there's so much talk about ethics in AI. There's a lot of importance for linguists, social scientists, marketers, you know, that bring that diversity, not just in terms of backgrounds, but life experiences and expertise. Uh, because what that means is the, the AI we build as a company, as a society is inclusive. In terms of the challenges, uh, you know, I do think that there are certain challenges of not being too technical, right? Which means that some of the conversations are really deep into the math of, uh, you know, of, of an algorithm or the code behind the algorithms and so on. In terms of my advice is, you know, you obviously wear, like understanding where you need the help of a technical person, right? And to reach out and augment your expertise with theirs. Like, for example, just, just an, as an example, my marketing team, they worked really, uh, you know, closely with the technical people on our team because we needed to make sure that the messaging we are sending out, especially if it's related to a technical audience, we, may, we wanted to make sure that it's hitting the right notes, right? So that, uh, you know, the, the language that I understand versus the language that probably a very technical CTO needs to hear is very different. So my uh, advice in general is to not have silos even within a company, right? But really work closely with, you know, um, so that technical and non-technical people are really integrated. Really great to hear. Thank you so much. Um, Preeti, you shared some meaningful projects you had worked on in various third world countries, including creating a fellowship and working with young students. Would you be able to share a bit more about the combination of social justice and AI within those projects and initiatives and why you decided to prioritize those projects within your career? Sure. Thanks, Elizabeth. So Fuse Machines is basically a for-profit entity. It's a startup based in New York City. And it has this mission of democratizing artificial intelligence. It was started by Dr. Samir Maske, who, is, uh, who teaches machine learning at Columbia University in New York. Basically, we started this fellowship program that teaches AI to deserving students in underrepresented communities all around the world. You know, we used uh, the MicroMasters course that Columbia and EDX have, and we used that to actually spread AI education, like all over the world, from New York City... Nepal, Burkina Faso, Dominican Republic, Kigali, you know, all kinds of places. For me, I was really involved in all phases of that particular fellowship from actually selecting these uh, students to implementation of the program in all these different cities. So I have a special connection, I feel, to this particular program and the students that went through it. You know, some of the some of the people are still in touch with me. And, uh, you know, from the cohort in New York, we actually had people that went on to get jobs at IBM and Facebook and so on, which is like incredible. Right. Um, so f that, you know, that in itself really speaks for not just their hard work and caliber, but the belief that, you know, people need opportunities, right? People need opportunities, they need support, and they need mentorship to be successful. So that's the basic uh, belief behind the fellowship, the fact that AI, especially more than any other technology, so to speak, that we know of, right, it has that impact. And if we can provide that, that, you know, we can package mentorship and the support and maybe even the tools, we can really create an impact all over the world. 
for me, uh, one of the reasons I actually loved being a part of that, and you know, one of the reasons I actually led that is because I am originally from Nepal, right? So being uh, from a developing country like that, I understand uh, the challenges and the benefits. So countries like that, if they have the knowledge and they can adopt AI, it, you can really empower and enable people to do amazing things, right? I've actually, you know, during my visits back home, I uh, would be part of, you know, I would judge some pitch competitions and, and you know, I would sometimes coach these people and I would just be amazed at the, you know, at these solutions that these students were uh, proposing, right, uh, to solve problems that they're facing around them, right? So they're using the local context and they're using the expertise that they're getting, the, the knowledge that they're gaining to solve issues around them, which is just such, like, it's, I feel like that's the, like, tech for good or AI for good in that sense is like the best thing that can happen with, with this technology. Wow, it's amazing to hear your involvement in these meaningful projects where you've been able to provide support, mentorship, and opportunities to help those from underrepresented communities and even your own community. That's truly amazing. So you should be very proud of your work. When thinking about the use of AI in our daily lives and tasks, we also see the challenges of AI with disparity in access, gender, and of course, underrepresented communities. Would you be able to share how you have conquered and addressed those challenges within your career? Sure. So one is really thinking about the ways you can bring value, right? So not just in terms of how you don't really match up in terms of the technical expertise, but what extra factor you can bring. For example, one of the things I, I did during my time at Fuse Machines was I actually I started this almost like an interview series on LinkedIn that focused on CTOs, right? So it was part of almost like a really creative way, right? To connect with CTOs who also happen to be our target audience, right? Um, and really engaging with them and so on. So the reason I, you know, bring that up is you can, even when you're not the, you know, the smartest person in the room or the expert in the room about on AI, there's so much value. There's so much value you can bring in terms of really looking at issues and, you know, finding uh, new ways of solving them, right? One of the things that, uh, you know, I also enjoyed last year was I worked for an investment bank uh, for a few months and I was the, you know, the AI lead on that particular team and uh, really helped uh, source deals and look at founders that are building AI companies and so on. One thing I loved was you can see how AI is making an impact, right? Uh, so startups uh, in the AI space aren't just limited to fintech or something like that. There are uh, AI startups coming out of retail and legal and pharma and education and recruiting and, you know, whatnot, right? So in terms of that, those opportunities, there is uh, so there are so many opportunities and people that also have you know, an expertise in a particular domain, like, for example, retail or something like that, right? They can also contribute to the AI economy by, you know, building something that, you know, using their core knowledge. On a personal note, I love that there is now a lot of conversation happening around ethics, bias, and privacy, right? These are huge issues. And now we're, I love that we're actually talking about it. We're talking about how companies should be really 
intentional in terms of how they collect data, what they collect, how they monetize it, right? Um, we're having these conversations about having, you know, standards for policies. I love that, you know, we talk about surveillance and what that means, right? What that means for the privacy of individuals and groups and so on. And I love that there are so many women like, you know, I love uh, Kate Crawford, Renee Cummings, there's uh, Kate Butterfield who, who are leading these conversations. So, you know, for me, there are obviously a few challenges in terms of, you know, not enough representation, but how you change that is trying to be part of the conversation. And, you know, women in AI, again, like I mentioned earlier, is trying to change that as well by showcasing these women leaders, women founders, women investors, and so on. That's great, pretty. You know, you've got had this, you know, sort of wealth of experiences in your life and and seen a lot of different opportunities from the investment side as well. And I love that idea of, you know, this can go beyond just fintech into, you know, different industries and sectors and things like that. You know, from a humanity and society perspective, you know, what do you see as the top opportunities in AI? You know, what what gets you excited about the the potential for AI to to make that change and and have that social impact? One thing I love, I mean, and it's not really tied to a particular industry, is I love that, uh, you know, people are thinking of using AI, not just in terms of how they can build a good product and, you know, really have, you know, earn a lot of profits, but they're also thinking of using AI for, uh, you know, um, helping humanity, right? Um, So, you know, just as an example, with Fuse Machines, one of the things we had done earlier, a few years ago, was um, actually used, uh, you know, the students there, the people on our team actually built a drone that would carry medicines and blood and drop it off to remote parts of the country. We did some tests and so on. So, you know, I mean, and there are uh, companies in, I think, Africa and so on that are doing something similar, right? There are companies that are, you know, thinking of working on climate change and, you know, food systems and so on. So for me, uh, you know, instead of a particular company that is doing something, it's just this uh, whole mindset that uh, we can, you know, as especially as entrepreneurs or people that, there are, I feel like there are two categories of people, right? There are either founders that actually, you know, start things. And there are these joiners, right? People like us that want to belong somewhere and, you know, do some purpose-driven work. I love that the focus now is more towards that in terms of, I mean, you could be doing, you know, earning a lot of money, making profits and so on. But there is that focus now, right? There is, you know, people want a strong mission and that's something that attracts talent as well, right? So, you know, I love the fact that you're thinking in that sense in terms of building something that obviously helps people, but it actually helps the world as well. Yeah, that's great. And I, I love that idea of just social mission being sort of embedded into the product. And I think, you know, overall, you know, a lot of these technologies, I used to do a lot of work on the the RPA side of, of sort of AI and intelligent automation. And, you know, there was, you know, some people are like, oh, it's, you know, the, the robots are going to take all the jobs. But we always looked at it at, you know, we're getting rid of those sort of menial, low value tasks that you know, are are so time consuming for people that we're letting them focus on, you know, work that is, you know, more productive and provides a, you know, a better outcome and can really drive, you know, more valuable work to to society and to humanity in general. So no, it's it's a I think you always got to look at look at both sides of it. 
you know, if you want to be successful in leveraging technology to really drive social impact, you know, can you share some best practices to, to increase the likelihood of success? Sure. You know, there's obviously a laundry list of things you can do, uh, you know, correctly. Um, but I'll hone in on two, right? One is, you know, managing or even figuring out who the stakeholders are, right? And that's actually super, super important. You know, and the stakeholders are, you know, people that are directly affecting the, the decision of building something, implementing something, or they could be users, they could be, you know, the government, a lot of different things, right? And really mapping out what that means, you know, your proposal or project, what that means for, you know, all the stakeholders, you know, and, and not just in terms of how they benefit or how they will be harmed, but also in terms of their accountability, right? So when we're, you know, trying to deliver, a, you know, a social impact project, what role does, you know, the government have or what role does a community there have, right? And really even figuring out with the accountability, also figuring out, what might be the resources for each particular stakeholder and really leveraging that, right? One of the big reasons a lot of projects also fail is because there isn't a lot of buy-in from all stakeholders, right? And we see that even in terms of, you know, different products where, you know, the decision is made at the top and then it's rolled out and there isn't a lot of change management happening. The people that actually, you know, probably didn't have a say in terms of which software is what or something like that. They're the ones that are using, trying to use it. They don't understand it and so on. Right. In the same way with any project, I feel like there has to be that cascading effect in terms of, you know, responsibility, in terms of, you know, guidance and also in terms of that communication flow. Right. Next, you know, and it's super and it's again uh, related to this is having the right expectations right? How are you measuring uh, success, right? And, and in so many cases, it's not super defined, right? You just, you know, there needs to be qualitative as well as quantitative, uh, you know, analysis done in terms of, the, you know, uh, any project, any pilot in terms of, uh, you know, and that, that's where that communication uh, is important, right? So, so for me, those are, I think, super, super important, right? Making sure that you actually, in terms of due diligence, you really think about the complete picture in terms of stakeholders, uh, external as well as internal, you know, uh, have uh, everybody aligned in terms of not just getting buy-in, but in terms of the expectations from it, right? And having that communication. For me, like being a marketer, especially, I think communication uh, within an organization overall is super important. I feel like there should be over communication, especially when you're, you know, thinking about these kind of things. And I think that also goes back to some of your earlier points around the sort of advantages to coming to it from a non-technical background. Sometimes, you know, I've been involved in situations where, you know, the the engineers and the machine learning folks will sit there and, you know, they could argue for weeks over, you know, algorithm changes that in, in increase model accuracy by, you know, 0.2, 0.3%. And, you know, as the non-technical business guy, you're kind of like, hang on, let's, let's, you know, yes, those changes are important, but, you know, if we can get this to market, you know, faster, you know, those advantages of, of a portion of a percent almost get lost in the noise. So, you know, we, we can come in with this perspective of, you know, here, here's the mission we're trying to get to and, and let's try to, you know, get there, you know, as quickly as possible without, you know, sacrificing the, the technology element of it. 
Right. There's always this uh, element of balance, right, between speed versus um, quality or, you know, how complete it is. But there's always that that balance you need to have. And it's not a one-time decision in any case, right, in terms of it's like, a, you know, sort of this dance between the stakeholders that needs to happen, you know, all the time in a way, right? Yeah, and thank you, Preeti, for that great advice, especially the note about measuring success in the various ways to do so. And on the theme for our special series, you've involved yourself in various women in AI initiatives. How do you encourage other women to be part of the ecosystem and create more visibility within the space? Sure. One of the things is, you know, having a learner's mindset, right? Um, basically meaning that you understand that you're a work in progress and that you don't have all the answers, right? Um, I think one of the things is uh, women especially face, and this happens irrespective of our age or the phase of our career and so on, is having an imposter syndrome, right? Where we're a sort of, we're questioning ourselves, whether we're technical or non-technical and so on. So one of the biggest ways to tackle that is, is to challenge it every day, right? For me, it's it's about uh, learning from people you aspire to 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 be like, right? Working harder and smarter than anybody else in the room, um, like networking, volunteering, mentoring, right? One big thing I think is missing is also asking questions, right? So if you're a non-technical person in the room. And you're surrounded by technical people, which can happen, right? Instead of feeling like, oh, my God, my questions are the dumbest in the world, you're benefiting yourself and the organization by being brave enough to ask those questions. And you improve yourself in that way, right? And with women in AI as well, that's what we're trying to do. We're, you know, it's a group of volunteers. I forget the exact count, but everybody's volunteering their time, like, um, and all incredible women, right? So, and there again, different levels of their career and so on. So one of the things to change the narrative is, you know, to take action, right? And the action can be as small as asking a question, or it can be as big as, you know, being part of something that is uh, disrupting the status quo. So my advice is basically figure out what you can do, how you can change, how you can uh, be a part of the conversation. You highlighted the idea of being curious and asking questions, which I think is really great advice, especially for someone with a non-technical background. For the next generation of women in AI and tech leaders, what advice can you share? There's a lot. Number one is don't discount the AI industry because you have a particular skill set or you don't in a way, right? Especially if you're non-technical, there are tons of roles, tons of companies doing amazing stuff, and you can find your place within this ecosystem, right? So number one is not to dismiss AI as something that's, you know, just meant for math and computer science experts. Two, again, you know, just being open to learning, having that learner's mindset overall, 
I think is super, super important, right? And trying to improve yourself, whether that means by seeking out mentors, by trying to volunteer or trying to learn new skill sets. So it's it's about that constant drive in a way. I think that's the best way. And in terms of, uh, you know, being a woman in the industry, there are obviously situations where only women in the room, right? But, you know, I recently was listening to some, some leaders talking about this. And they said that in the end, uh, it's, you know, the fact that you're at the table means that you have that merit as well, right? So, you know, it's also a lot about being confident in what you bring to the table and showcasing that to the world instead of, you know, any perceived weaknesses you might have. That's great insight and a great point to end on. To recap today's conversation with Preeti Adhikari from Yale University and its size City and the Women in AI Think Tank, Leveraging technology for social impact sounds so obvious, but there's a lot of people who focus on the potential dark side of technology's impact on humanity and society. In the fast-paced world of technology, there are many ways to leverage AI and technology for social good, yet it's critical to address the misconceptions and challenges to be successful. Learning how to use those challenges as a motivator can create strong passion for corporate social responsibility and social justice initiatives. At the end of the day, visibility and awareness of these issues and how to address this is how we can use technology and AI for the greater good. This episode has been part of our special series on women in AI and a big thanks to Elizabeth Meadleman for organizing this series and joining the session today. That's a wrap on today's show. Thank you, Preeti, for joining us and Fortress IQ for sponsoring. I'm John Nisley, and this has been Hello Human. Thank you, guys. If you enjoyed this session, subscribe and check out our series at fortressiq.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for joining us today on Hello Human.